0: hello and welcome to quote-unquote guilty on word salad radio i'm your host joe ketchum i'm joined today by tyler Pistorius. how's it going tyler
1: oh it is going good in the hood
0: how are you i'm good today was like my last day of responsibility for the semester. Excellent. <laughs> so I had like uh, professional development meetings all day, which is part of my job is to like organize this event. I think it went really well, but it's always kind of exhausting. But I, I came home, I I had a taco bowl, I had a glass of wine, and now I'm ready to talk about the the final temptation of Jesus.
1: <laughs> yeah, the ulti- ultimo temptation of... Uh, the Jesus,
0: the Jesus, <laughs> yes, <laughs> the Jesus fucks,
1: the the, the Jesus that fucks. <laughs> oh, boy, oh boy, does he ever fucking! Oh boy, does um, he fuck?
0: He fucks so um,
1: good. My, my my question: What what were what were uh, what were uh, what were religious people's uh, problem with this movie exactly?
0: I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like uh, you know, you want I, I don't know why you wouldn't want a god who fucks
1: I, exactly. I mean, come on, this movie's got everything. You know, it, it it's got Jesus, it's got it's got Tits. It's got ass. It's got mm-hmm. blood and it's got blood and guts. Like literally entrails
0: uh, show up in this movie. Like, what's that to like? I, I would, uh, in fact, wager that the only reason we don't see Jesus's cock in this movie is that Willem Dafoe's cock is infamously enormous.
1: That's right, it is <laughs> and like
0: comically too big. It was like we can't take Jesus seriously if he's walking around on a third leg.
1: Yeah, when when he when he gets uh, crucified, uh, because he is crucified naked, which I don't think I've ever seen that in any adaptation of uh, the Gospel of Saint Matthew. No, Uh, where he he literally does the Buffalo Bill Dick Tuck before (laughs) there was even a Silence of the Lambs. He was doing the Dick Tuck before it was "quote unquote" cool.
0: Well, they let him like cross his legs and like sit almost in a. a not supine, but you know, like a fetal position, a vertical fetal position. Whereas (laughs) traditionally, yeah, he would be on display. And then Scorsese clearly took one look at his dick and went, well, that's not going to work and we don't have the budget to shrink it in post. So yeah, (laughs) what have I done? What have I done? What have I
1: done? I can just imagine Scorsese sitting behind the and going, oh my God. Oh my God. Does Jesus
0: have a third leg? (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, which two of his legs should we nail to this cross? <laughs>
1: <laughs> could you imagine your your paid job is to be like a PA or, or like a, like a, a set dresser or something like that? <laughs> and could you imagine your job having to get up on a ladder, climb up? And because, uh, because Defoe is tied to the cross, you have to be the guy or, or gal uh, who has to take Defoe's uh, third member and tuck it in because he can't <laughs> Do it himself. <laughs> his,
0: his hands are restrained, so he needs a, a, a fluffer, basically, to uh, <laughs> to feng shui his genitalia. I'm, I'm honestly surprised that him just crossing his legs was enough to cover it. <laughs> I, I'm impressed,
1: too. Like, they didn't have to airbrush anything out um, or... I mean, they obviously didn't have like the kind of CG technology back then. I mean, the, I think it was like the adventure, the adventures of young Sherlock Holmes was only like three years prior to it. It was very rudimentary CG. And then few before that was Tron. They did not have the tech to hide his member, but they, they managed to do it. They, so. they did it
0: with some old fashioned trickery, camera trickery, yep.
1: good old fashioned camera trickery. <laughs> exactly. Camera dickery. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it was right there. It was right there for us. And you found it. Love
1: it. I was lost, but now I have found the camera dickery. <laughs> so I, yeah, this, my... this
0: was my uh, my second time watching The Last Temptation. Nice. I watched it, uh, must have been this summer, like August. Um, August
1: be- was your first time seeing it? Okay. Yeah,
0: because I got, you know, every, every Prime Day and every um, Black Friday, Amazon gives away like two months of premium channels for a dollar or something. Okay. So I got two months of Showtime and it was on Showtime. And I think you recommended this to me a while back. Yeah, So it was, like, on my watch list, and when I told my streaming app app I had Showtime now, it was like, you can watch Last Temptation of Christ. And I've been, like, randomly having Alexa choose movies for me. Either it picked it randomly for me, or it was getting towards the end of the Showtime two months, and I was like, well, I'll go through the Showtime movies on my watch list while I can watch them. And that included Last Temptation of Christ, which is really long, but really great, as we'll get into
1: Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, the, if, if it were true that uh, uh, Echo picked The Last Temptation of Christ for you while you had this uh, temporary subscription, that sounds like divine intervention to me.
0: Yeah. I mean, someone someone down there really wanted me to see it.
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, my, my, my first time seeing The Last Temptation was oddly was uh, interestingly enough, it was in high school. So there's this there was a store that I used to go to called Slackers. And I saw that there was a copy of the old Criterion DVD on one of their shelves. And it was like, you know, $19, $20 or some of that because it was used. And so I had uh, some money saved up from, uh, uh, it was my my lawn mowing money. And I went ahead and picked it up. And because I I, had heard about this movie. Uh, Oddly enough, the first time I had heard about the movie was from uh, Saturday Night Live's The Chris Farley Show. There was a best of Chris Farley, and it's him doing the Chris Farley show, and he interviews uh, the la- and he interviews uh, Martin Scorsese, and one of the things they talk talk about is the Last Temptation of Christ. So I was like, oh, what is this? And the skit is, of course, hilarious. And God, it's it's such a it's such a tragedy that we never got to see. Martin Scorsese direct Chris Farley in anything because, my mm, God, that would, that have, would been have been
0: like a, ama- he, I just, now I'm thinking of him in, like, the Jonah Hill role in... Uh, oh, in Wolf of Wall, Wolf Wall Street, Wall my Street God. Just incredible.
1: <laughs> I mean, J- Jonah Hill is brilliant in the Wolf of Wall Street. He is. But if,
0: no notes. But yeah. Chris Farley is an improvement over anyone, really.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, not, not even Jonah Hill could top that. And I think, yeah, the only person I would have picked for that role would have been Chris Farley. We got Jonah Hill, which was, I mean, obviously brilliant performer, But if Chris Farley were alive and if I had if somebody got the role over Jonah Hill, it would have to be Chris Farley. Only Chris Farley, though. But I that's where I had first heard about the movie was from Saturday Night Live of all things that it was the Chris Farley show. So thank you, Chris. May you rest in peace. And I took that honestly
0: might be where I first heard about it, too. But I was (laughs) I I came across this in the background a couple of times and just was never interested in watching it because it's the story of Jesus. And I know the story of Jesus. And what is Mm -hmm. this really going to do for me? So I never really gave it much thought in terms of watching it until you recommended it.
1: Yeah, cuz um I I had I had just seen The Passion of the Christ. Um <laughs>
0: yeah, in the theater.
1: <laughs> in the theater, and I was just sort of like, oh my, oh no. But what intrigued me the most about seeing the movie was the fact that it was a Martin Scorsese film. So it's like, okay, well if it's Scorsese doing it, I had just watched Raging Bull, I had just watched Taxi Driver, I had just watched um uh, uh, bringing out the dead uh, yeah. around that time. So it's like, okay, well, if it's the person who did bringing out the dead and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull doing a movie about Jesus, it's probably not going to be like the Pastor of the Christ or... Like the fifties the and sixties, like golden age of like the grand epics where like the greatest story ever told or some bullshit like that. So I I, I I took a I took a risk. I took a chance. I bought it. I went home and I watched it and I was astonished at how good it was. I also was kinda of sad too because uh because I grew up in a very religious uh, town, and I was a little bit more open-minded. And I was a, I was a practicing Presbyterian at the time. Uh, but I thought the film was uh, very powerful and moving. Uh, and as somebody who was deep in the Presbyterian faith, I was very much moved by this movie. And I had seen it several times since. Uh, one of my personal favorites was uh, when I tried to show this to some of my Christian friends... We got about 15 minutes into the movie, and then they demanded I turn the movie off because it had offended them greatly. Oh, and so, wow. Yeah, they, they were very unhappy that I had tried to show them that movie. And so I, I don't think I don't think uh, we ever hung out again after that. So, I mean, thank you, uh, Last Citation, for cutting out, you know, people who were really not, you know, worth being around to begin with. So thank you for that. And then I just and my recent watch was yesterday in preparation for this episode. And yeah, I, here's the thing. It, it It is definitely a labor of love from Martin Scorsese. Like nobody but Martin Scorsese was going to make this movie. I don't I don't think I don't think anybody would even like dare try to. Um, Scorsese
0: is a devout Catholic, right? I saw that somewhere. Yes,
1: he is. He is a he devout is. Catholic. And according to Roger Ebert, and I want to say it was his review for The Departed. Uh, Scorsese because he and Ebert were very close friends up until uh, Ebert's passing uh, Ebert wrote that Scorsese confessed that he was convinced that he was going to hell mm. and Ebert Ebert asked why do you say that and it, no it was not because he made the last temptation of Christ uh it was because he got divorced and oh yeah that's a bad one di- that's a very bad one but I mean it just it did not work out between him and Isabella Rossellini so those two ended up going their own separate ways did not and realize it, they were married. <laughs> yeah, it's it's wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of all the people, it was Martin Scorsese and Isabella Rossellini, and uh, unfortunately, the two never did a movie together. Um, although I, I imagine if you were to do a movie with your spouse, it could potentially be awkward. Although sometimes it works. Uh, but you know, more often than not, it's sort of a don't shit where you eat kind of thing. Sure, and I know that. And if I and if I was if I was married to an actress, and I wanted to direct a movie i be like, OK, do I do I want to tell my wife what to do like and be like super micromanaging about her performance? I don't think that's going to go very
0: well. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. So um, when, um, you,
0: when you watch it with your friends, did they have specific things they were offended by? Did they have notes? They they didn't
1: like that, that Je- they didn't like that. They, th- they thought that Jesus was too meek and too cowardly. And they didn't like that he was building crosses for people to be crucified.
0: Oh, yeah, I see. And I think that's such a clever, uh, like, the way it's built into this character study of Jesus is so fantastic. Like, I agree. A, he's a carpenter, so he would be called upon to make crosses. And like Mm -hmm. the movie points out, he could refuse, but he chooses to do it. He chooses to, like, aid the Romans in the killing of his own people. Because he wants to piss off God yeah. and get God to leave him the fuck alone. And that's right. such a relatable, powerful idea to start this movie with.
1: Yeah, and, and I love too that whenever he receives uh, messages from God, it physically hurts him.
0: Yeah, he even describes it as having like an eagle dig its claws into his scalp.
1: Yes, when God's talking to him, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, think, he thinks that God is basically punishing him and torturing him. And obviously, when we get to the the titular last temptation, which we'll get into in a bit, it makes it that much more actually much more attractive. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like like we see Jesus is basic. Yeah, he's torn. He he doesn't want to go through with anything that God's telling him to do. I remember I when I was I was watching this with uh with uh, my lady friend Bethany. I was like, you know what? I think if I were in Christ's position and if I were basically if it was basically up to me to be, you know the one to save humanity, I don't think I would want to go through with that.
0: yeah, it's a lot for any person to, you know cope with and come to terms with and like know in your in your being, that is God's plan for you. He speaks to you and you resist it. and when you resist it, he hurts you because mm-hmm. you know that's God. yeah, it's very in keeping Not- with his character.
1: Yeah, not only does he hurt you but um the ones that you are close to like like whenever he's because the ones that he's closest to are Mary Magdalene and especially uh Judas <clears throat> like he it basically puts a wedge between his relationships with them i mean the first time we see Jesus and Mary Magdalene together she wants basically nothing to do with him <laughs> by the end of that conversation
0: i i like mary his relationship with mary throughout this
1: yes is is
0: really great because you know she in the beginning really despises him like the rest of the, the town seems to mm-hmm. <laughs> for his uh, complacency with the Romans and their own oppression. And then, you know, grows that connection with him as he figures out who he is. And it kind of becomes the story we know in the Bible, but their, their relationship is so tempestuous and fascinating in this film.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One, one of the, one of the most, uh, probably I, in terms of the, uh... Because Scorsese, although he doesn't always have a female protagonist in his movies, I think, other than Alice doesn't live here anymore, with, with uh, Ellen Burstyn as the lead, he doesn't always have a female protagonist. And I think, I think your mileage may vary in terms of uh, how, how he is with the, with the female characters in general, um, especially because they are viewed from the point of view of the deeply flawed male protagonist. Yeah, Mary, but Mary Magdalene, I think, is one of his strongest uh, female characters in his entire filmography. Uh, yeah, that's ra- fair. Uh, right up there with uh, Karen in uh, Goodfellas, I would say, or uh, or uh, Catherine Hepburn in uh, the, the Aviator. Which I'm not the biggest Aviator fan, but I love Kate Blanchett as uh, Catherine Hepburn.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw the Aviator once. And it wasn't really that's, for me. I've always, have you... always kind of meant to revisit it just to like remind myself how bad it or how middling it is.
1: Yeah, it's 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 very it's very milquetoast Scorsese, especially when the next film he did after that was the fucking Departed, <laughs> yeah,
0: which is oh so good.
1: <laughs> oh, it's endlessly entertaining. Like I never get bored anytime I watch it. And of course, Scorsese, he's got. I think I would put the Departed in this category if I if I start the movie. I'm like, son of a bitch, I'm going to watch the whole fucking movie now. Because uh, in preparation for, I remember I was telling a friend of mine, Matt, um, that I think I might watch Goodfellas because there's a point in there that's set during Christmas. So in a way, Goodfellas kind of is a Christmas movie. But I told him, because I, st- I just got done watching Last Impatient, my, my revisit of it, and I said, I'm not going to watch Goodfellas tonight because if I start watching Goodfellas, I'm not going to be able to turn it off. <laughs> Uh, Scorsese's got that got like a failsafe somewhere on some of his movies where you can't turn off a movie of his. And the last citation. Yeah, that's one I I am compelled to see it through from start to finish whenever I revisit it. And, speak, and speaking of which, the the casting of uh, a lot of the roles in this is really fascinating. I mean, we have Willem Dafoe as Jesus, a very young Willem Dafoe. This was uh, just after a platoon and uh, to live and die in L.A., and Streets of Fire. So it and yeah, and I think, uh, yeah, Defoe, he, he took the role It's funny because I think now he probably would never want to try and tackle a role like that again. Um, if he were asked to like come play Jesus again or something like that, although he's too old to play Jesus because Jesus was in his 30s when he died. But, uh, Defoe, I guess he, he thought that he was, uh, confident enough at the time to tackle a role like that. And the casting of Defoe was certainly met with, uh, not met with all positive responses. Um, one of my favorites is from uh, Sergio Leone, the director of uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. He said, this is the face of a murderer, not our Lord and Savior, when he heard that <laughs> Defoe was cast <laughs> as Jesus. It's <laughs> not wrong. <laughs> I mean, Defoe, I mean, it's in the name Defoe. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, but yeah, I, I thought, yeah, that that ended up working out great that we have someone like Defoe who is not afraid to just go for it. With a lot of the roles. I mean, sometimes he goes for it and it's the Green Goblin and Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Other times it's he goes for it and it's the lighthouse uh, where it's amazing. Uh, and here he does go for it. But at the same time, it does feel incredibly grounded.
0: I was just going to say he is. Yeah, he is. He's doing that kind of energy with Jesus. He's really selling it but without any hint of irony. He's not poking fun at Christianity or the story or, you know, things about it that don't make sense. He's really trying to uh, be as um, earnest with it as he can.
1: Yeah, really get to the to – literally get to the dude's heart and soul. Like, um, yeah, and, and I, I like what you said, not a hint of irony and there you don't get that – uh, ethereal mythical jesus that you always see in movies about him uh passion of the christ is i think a very egregious example of that where jesus kind of feels superhuman or alien like yeah. like like an alien from outer space uh if you listen to our uh, blockbuster autopsy on passion of the christ we break down how that doesn't work but yeah defoe's jesus is positively human and in some respects I actually find him to be the one Jesus that is relatable because of a key word, doubt. He's a man with doubts. And I'm also a man with doubts, <laughs> especially about, you know, some of the choices that I have to make. And I'm not sure if I am want to or I'm comfortable with some of the choices that I have to make. But I know that I've got to make them in order to progress further in life. And this, and this is just the most extreme version of that, where... Oh, my fate and destiny is I have to die horribly <laughs> and I don't get to, and I don't get to ever taste the pleasures of a normal man. I mean, that's yeah, you want to do that? I don't. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really interesting the the grounded the, the, the like you say, his Jesus feels completely human. And yeah. to the point where if I were to make if I were to tell the story of Jesus, I would make his um uh his godliness more um, ambiguous. So like a really good example in the movie is the water to wine scene mm-hmm. where, you know, he's like, you know, we're out of wine. He's like, no, those, those buckets over there have wine. He's Like, no, they're water. It's like, no, they're wine. It's like, no, I just checked their waters. Like, no, they're wine. Go check. And he checks again and it's wine. And it's kind of like, did he turn it to wine or did it, was the guy mistaken? Like that kind of stuff where people can see that. And then the mythology mm-hmm. of Jesus grows into modern day Christianity so rather than having jesus bringing people back from the dead and curing the blindness and doing impossible things i think it would be interesting if it were more grounded in reality and then we see how the legend of jesus blows up but because scorsese believes these things and is a catholic i don't think that's really possible from him i think it would have been a very different movie from someone who is taking an atheistic but not i you know a cynical look at the story yeah. of jesus <clears throat>
1: Yeah, I, I, li- I like that approach, Joe. I guess if I, if I had to point out a few cheeks in the armor, or, or if I had to point out any, like, you know, cracks in the painting or something, I, I do wish that the mythical stuff that he does was a bit more ambiguous and did come off a little bit more grounded. Because I think that would have been really fascinating and like how that's how like the myth builds up and everything like with the like when he brings Lazarus back from the dead because of the way Lazarus looks when he wakes up because he's he looks like a corpse. Um, If he if he looked like if he was sick instead of like a rotting corpse when he comes out of it, that would have probably made it a bit more ambiguous as to whether or not Jesus actually did bring him back from the dead. But everybody was looking at this going, oh, my God, Lazarus was dead. But here he is, and he he just kind of looks a little sick, and that's just because he hasn't been out in the sun for, like, however many days that he was asleep. So it goes
0: Uh, from, oh, Lazarus is definitely going to die, to mm -hmm. Jesus prays over him and he gets better, unrelated, but the story becomes he was dead and Jesus brought him back. And then he was dead for several days and Jesus brought him back, when it's really just... You know, right place, wrong right place, right time. Lazarus got lucky and survived this illness that no one expected him to. But the legend grows from there.
1: Yeah, yeah. That I would have liked to have seen that.
0: Um, I think that could be really interesting. And that, and the thing is, that's now a movie someone could still make. Like that version of Jesus, yes. the story of Jesus, to my mind, does not actually exist and i think people would hate it if you imply that jesus was just a man and not the son of god <laughs> and you're not making fun of christianity but you're like you know this is how information spreads and this is how things get blown out of proportion this is how you know news spreads and rumors happen and faith yeah. is created but yeah people would hate it <laughs>
1: I mean, people would hate it, and you know what? I say tough shit. <laughs> I mean, they
0: would they would hate it even if you did like a traditional version of Jesus. <laughs> like, is like, well, yeah. Know, why I, is why is Jesus olive skinned? Why is he a brown hair? <laughs> he was blonde uh, hair, blue eyed, and white as hell.
1: <laughs> Jesus was an American.
0: Jesus, why doesn't he ever? Why doesn't Jesus ever salute the American flag? I hate this Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's another movie I would kill to see is, you know, like American Jesus. the movie? Now
1: that you give that all the irony and all. Yeah, that's where you put all
0: the irony, all Mm -hmm. the irony missing from Last Temptation. You put in American Jesus.
1: (laughs) Yeah, instead of Jesus uh, uh, riding on a camel, he rides on a horse and he's got, you know, uh, he's got holsters for Uzis. That he goes to deliver <laughs> peace and justice. And the guns are called peace and justice. That's right. <laughs>
0: That's right.
1: <laughs> so as we're going on with the cast, um, we've got the is Jesus. You got Barbara Hershey, uh, who deservedly so got a Golden Globe nomination for Best Supporting Actress. I would I actually think she should have gotten nominated for Best Actress, because she's Sure, it's a it's a smaller role, but here's the thing: like Anthony Hopkins won Best Actor for Silence of the Lambs, and he yeah, uh, and he's on screen for like eight minutes. So how could like why not give a Best Actress
0: nomination for Barbara Hershey? And I don't um, even think Hopkins is the the record holder for a least amount of time for a Best Performance <laughs> winner. I I think someone has was on screen for like four minutes. In oh, uh, network was it Judy... or something? Maybe is it Maureen Stapleton? Is that her name? That... Maybe that sounds kind of familiar.
1: It's the actress that plays um, that plays William Holden's wife.
0: Yeah, I think I think she won best actress and she was on screen for like four minutes. Someone hmm. can check me on that. But I think I saw that she
1: she got a supporting actress. uh, Faye Dunaway got best actress. Okay, both of which still deservedly so. But uh, uh, other performances, um, we'll, we'll talk about Harvey Keitel in a bit.
0: We'll, we'll spend an hour talking about Harvey Keitel.
1: Oh, my God. Oh, yes, we will. You've got um, the scene where uh, Mary Magdalene is going to be stoned to death. And then Jesus stops it. Um, the, the older guy with the with the long white beard and no hair on his head, uh, Zebedee. That is uh, director Irving uh best known for the following movies. <clears throat> Just going to read them off here. The Eyes of Laura Mars, RoboCop 2, <laughs> uh oh, and some film called The Empire Strikes Back, Joe. Ah, uh, uh, yep. I With mean, it turned the joint. That little yes. I mean, it, technically, it was an independent film. Uh, and I will, and I, I gotta give a uh, Scorsese credit for you know when it comes to casting Star Wars directors. I'm glad he picked Kirshner and not George Lucas because that would have been really distracting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it would have been
0: <laughs> weird for him to go out there, Stone Mary Magdalene. <laughs> <laughs> You oh know, it's God. it's past and present. <coughs> it's like poetry; it rhymes.
1: <laughs> you know, she's got to be put to death, Jesus. You know, it's like <laughs> poetry; it rhymes.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: oh, okay. Here, here's here's what we do. We we cast in in the 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 Jesus that we're gonna do. We cast uh, Rich Evans dressed as George Lucas in the role of Zebedee. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, it's a flannel shirt and all yeah I love it yes
1: yes um Andre Gregory shows up at this as John the Baptist and it's a uh, whenever he whenever Jesus gets baptized he's baptized by Andre Gregory who is the titular dinner of my dinner with Andre uh, which oh, I've that's always right yep
0: that that joint what <laughs> a boring movie my dinner with Andre. is. <laughs> Like, I was really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is right up my alley. And I watch is like, this is what people talk about. This this is so boring.
1: <laughs> my yeah, I mean, my, my dinner with Andre, we're going to have to save that for like another podcast entirely. Um, I'll, I had to revisit it. I did remember thinking that it was a half an hour too long. Is the movie yeah. only a
0: half an hour long? Because then that statement is true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no the movie's movie I'm, sure
0: I'm sure there's some merit in it but man yeah. i was disappointed by it
1: uh it, no it's it's a two hour long movie uh which Ugh. for me I, that was my thing i did not think that needed to be two hours i thought like 90 minutes would or, or even like 70 to 80 minutes i think it's like a short clean. film
0: tops like you could yeah. i bet you could do a an 18 minute cut of my dinner with andre and get everything you need from it
1: oh absolutely yeah but um now regarding this uh two hour and 43 minute movie, which I did not really, I don't really feel the length of. Uh, the no, it's fl-
0: like a lot of Scorsese's work. It flies by. It was like yeah. Wolf of Wall Street has to be close to three hours like this. Yeah, actually, I think it is by. three hours. Yeah, I think that I is. is three it, hours. Yes. I think it's about three hours. Exactly. And it just moves. It's so entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like Gangs of New York. The Departed is not this long, but. Still, it flies by. It,
1: yeah, I mean, Departed is is still not a short movie. It's about two and a half hours, but yeah, it, it flies by too. For the most part, yeah, Scorsese's really, really, you know, he he he's he's a he's a top notch when it comes to his pacing. I would say, like, for the most part, there there's a couple of movies that yeah, are,
0: of course, there's gonna be some misfires in there. Yeah, not everything is like perfectly tight and toned.
1: But but generally, uh, he's got a
0: real gift for it.
1: Yeah, generally speaking, yeah, he's got a gift for it. Generally speaking, yeah, when you go and see a Scorsese movie, no matter how long it is, again, it depends on the movie. Uh, yeah, you, you, you know,
0: immediately the Irishman comes to mind. Like, you feel every minute of the Irishman. I, I, was
1: all, I, I, I was actually going to say Silence, uh, his other...
0: Uh... I have not seen Silence because I heard it was so... Yeah, like, you really feel the length of that one. Here's the thing. The,
1: I think that the, the movie Silence is really good. Yes, it is also very slow. Uh, I would actually say, I think it... It actually it felt slower than The Irishman. Yeah, I mean, I love
0: the cast of it. I really want to check it out, but might have to yeah. do it in like sittings.
1: <laughs> yeah, like yeah, give yourself multiple sittings because it it really does take its time, and yeah. it is it is also not a pleasant movie either.
0: <laughs> so not not that I need everything to be like fast and exciting all the time. I can do a slow movie if I'm into it and I'm relating to it. But I hear yes. that you know Silence is a bit of a misstep as far as all that. So. I, I do want to get into I'd like to mm-hmm. see all of Scorsese's work eventually. Oh, yeah. Um, he is among my favorite living directors. He's maybe even the mm-hmm. top of the list, if I'm being honest. Like, I really like his work.
1: Oh, my. I mean, my guy, like when it comes to like the, the masters of the craft of directing and filmmaking. Um, Yeah, I think I think Scorsese, like when it comes to especially this generation, like next to even like Spielberg or Coppola. Or...
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I put them. I put him above spielberg and yep. coppola yeah absolutely sure. like but you're right that generation of directors mm-hmm. scorsese is tops for me
1: uh, oh my god especially like when you look at something like the wolf of wall street and the guy did that in his 70s yeah
0: and- i mean that is the film of a like fresh out of college film student getting his yes. first big break and Scorsese's like step aside kid <laughs> <laughs> So beside I'm, nerd, go, I'm gonna make. De- I'm gonna make DiCaprio say "cunt" fifty times.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
1: yeah, go go direct a Marvel movie, kid. I got this. <laughs>
0: go, go do a Marvel. <laughs>
1: Let me show you what
0: a filmmaking is.
1: Three three other castmates I want to address real quick. Uh, you have Harry Dean Harry Dean Stanton in two roles. Uh, one as the guy who waxes. Sorry, I can't resist this. We're talking Scorsese here. He whacks uh, Lazarus. Now, I have not read the book uh, that this is based on, The Last Temptation by uh, Nikos Kazantzakis. As, that's how Scorsese pronounces his last name. So it's like, oh, I guess that's how you say his name because I wouldn't have known how to pronounce it otherwise. It's not Saul that stabs Lazarus to death. It's actually uh, Barabbas, who is the, the murderer that's let go by Pontius Pilate in favor of keeping uh, oh, Jesus prisoner. I
0: gotcha, yeah.
1: And in the book, after Barnabas, uh stabs Lazarus to death, uh, Barabbas becomes petrified, like just absolutely horrified at what he had just done, even though he's a murderer, and runs away in fear. You know, run away, run away, he does that <laughs> kind of thing. And I guess, and I, and I haven't read the book. I, I, I actually, I have, a, I have a copy of the book. I just have not gotten around to like just like
0: sit down and read the book yet. Um, yeah, I would, I would like to check it out too, just because I'm such a fan of adaptation. Are you sure Stanton's playing two different roles? Because I thought that in their second scene, he says, "Don't you remember me? We met before." Like, well, isn't he, it the same character?
1: That that's actually where you could argue that he is, because although he goes under a different name, Paul of Tarsus. In the temptation hallucination, he does say, Don't you remember me? So he's so Jesus is probably thinking he probably can't remember the name Saul, but he's thinking Paul instead. And he is credited as two different roles, like those two are apparently supposed to be different characters. But
0: wow, that's interesting.
1: But Stanton, but the thing is, yeah, Stanton does portray them kind of in a similar manner because he has Saul who's a murderer, and you have Paul who's basically like a false prophet essentially. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because it feels like it, it makes sense to me that he would even change his name because he's a murderer, like to mm-hmm. escape persecution he would go to a different area to assume a different identity and in the year 33 you can get around you can get away with things like that yes
1: <laughs> yeah oh i just uh, changed the first letter of my name to, to a to a different uh constant Consonant.
0: He, uh, he pulled the yeah. shang chi he pulled it. he changed yes, his name from shang to sean <laughs> <laughs>
1: They'll never suspect it was me.
0: <laughs> no, no offense to Martin Scorsese, but I really enjoy. Well, I really enjoy Marvel movies, but I really enjoy Shang Chi a lot. <laughs> yes, that, that really made me laugh. <laughs> That's,
1: hey, hey, not bad. All right, so another another performance. David Bowie as Punch's oh, yeah. pilot. My God, who, he... who
0: I barely recognized. Yeah, I was like when he when he showed up, I was like. Man, that looks like that kind of looks like David Bowie, <laughs> but, like something's wrong with his face.
1: Yeah, there's there's no makeup on it or anything. He's positively plain looking. Yeah. And and he's got like the bad Caesar haircut and everything like that. Although he looks fabulous in it. Uh, he does. They, he looks incredible. Oh, yeah. But I remember when I first saw that, I was like, wait, oh, oh, my God, it's the Goblin King. <laughs> <laughs> And he's, he's
0: got that one scene and it's so great. Like oh, he was well, such the, such the right person to bring in for that one scene.
1: Absolutely. Pitch perfect. Okay.
0: Now Cause he's really of, like on Jesus's side. He's like, he's well, like, he, seriously, you can end this. <laughs> it's like, you yeah, can, he, you're just letting this happen to yourself. Yeah. He's trying to talk him
1: out of it essentially. Yeah. And, and, uh, pilot does make some pretty interesting points too. Cause, uh, the the way that the the thing that Pilate addresses to Jesus that he's deeply like concerned about being like look like this like you really got to stop and think about what you're doing here because he say it's it's another thing entirely to tell people how to think and how to feel especially cuz Well, you look at the United States of America, we have politicians that are constantly trying to tell people how to think and how to feel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, basically, you know, imposing their beliefs and trying to force, you know, the general population into abiding by their beliefs, which goes completely against freedom of expression and freedom of religion. And Pilate is, oddly enough, kind of saying the same thing to Jesus here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's it's fascinating. All right. Now, we've mentioned that David Bowie's pitch perfect. We've got a, We got a. We got a committed actor here who I, who I think delivers like a like an emotionally honest performance. But in terms of the voice, <laughs> you could argue maybe not maybe not the most pitch perfect. It, it's uh, he he. It's a, it's an actor who I otherwise really love, and and I do get pleasure seeing him here. It is Harvey Keitel as uh, Judas, like emotion like the emotional truth of it. Like he really does commit to it, and I and I think he does have really great chemistry with uh, with Willem Dafoe's Jesus. Like, I buy that the two of them have been friends for a really long time. Yeah, there, is, there's
0: a history built into this performance that is, I think, impossible to just, like, manufacture. It really feels right. like they go way back.
1: It does feel like they go way back. With all that being said, he is the most Bronx Judas
0: <laughs> I've ever heard. He, he is. Like, it's not distracting to me. I don't really mind. I'm just sure, so yeah. captivated by his performance and his relationship with Jesus and the way yes. that. because Judas. Is the role. Like Jesus Mm -hmm. or Judas, Judas is the role. Because if you want to make a complicated, relatable Jesus, you also have to make a complicated relatable Judas. Yes. Yes. And Judas is so often dismissed as the betrayer, the bad guy of the Jesus story, yeah, the reason Jesus died. But if you really think about it logically, Jesus needs Judas to betray him. To fulfill his destiny.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, Judas is, by all intents and purposes, I would say probably his most devoted disciple.
0: Yeah, um, and in this, this really plays on that. And I love mm-hmm. the scene they have where he's like, you have to turn me into <laughs> the Romans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, you have to betray me. All of this is for nothing. You have to betray me. You have to kill me. You said that if I strayed an inch from my revolution, you would kill me. Have yeah. I strayed? Yes, I fucking strayed. Now fucking kill me. <laughs> yes.
1: And, and and Judas is like just completely like heartbroken that he actually now has to go and do this.
0: <laughs> it tracks so well. It's such oh, a yeah. beautiful performance and a beautiful twist on the story that makes complete sense.
1: I, I and I do buy that this Judas uh once Jesus fulfills the prophecy and dies on the cross. I buy that Judas would still probably take his own life just out of the guilt of what he had to do, even though what he did was completely, you know, completely aligned with what he had to do. I would buy that he would probably end up killing himself. We don't see that, though. We don't see that. No, you
0: don't. It's an interesting choice that they I mean, I guess because of the way the ending is constructed, we don't go beyond the death of Jesus to see, you know, Judas dealing with this. We get a different fate for Judas yeah. But um, yeah, it would have been it, it knowing that Judas kills himself. It makes more sense with the way that this story plays out.
1: Yes, exactly. And I guess now we can get into the the titular uh, Last Temptation. They, they say, yeah, that I mean, the third we might as
0: well. Yeah, yeah, because this is the whole movie to me. Like, yeah. I really enjoy the first. What is it like two hours before we get to the Last Temptation mm-hmm. sequence? I really yes. enjoy it, and it's like, okay, the, uh, like, Defoe's great, he's making a lot of good points, and mm-hmm. we're really complicating Jesus, and he's kind of walking that line between MLK and Malcolm X for yes, most yes. of the movie.
1: <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> um,
0: I, I love it. I, I, I think it's really great, but what really makes the movie exceptional is The the Last Temptation.
1: Yeah, this is where the movie really shines, and and, it, and it's coming right after uh, a, a rather tastefully done uh, flogging and uh, crossing of uh, Gorgotha, Golgotha, and then getting crucified. Because that's that's all yeah. like two minutes tops, uh, you know. And that's a feel, real
0: quick torture, and like yeah, he was tortured and whipped mm-hmm. and
1: you, put you on get, the
0: cross. Yeah,
1: you you get the idea, and it's it's far more effective than doing that for two fucking hours mel
0: gibson <laughs> yeah way more effective
1: yeah well also because you actually get to know jesus before all that so it actually does have an effect on you and then and then there he is he's on the cross father why has self-forsaken me and and i love that this is where the placement of that temptation is is between father why has self-forsaken me and it is finished or it is accomplished so i yeah, thought it okay is accomplished. good good placement there but yeah what happens is is that uh everything stops, like, there, there's, no, there's no sound, there's a big crash of thunder, and then there's no sound, and then this uh, sweet little uh, girl, uh, who's an angel, although not quite the biblically accurate angel, I would love to see that in a movie one day, but an angel nonetheless, and it gets the idea across, uh, or is she an angel? Comes down from the cross, um, and he's able to, you know, he's able to walk fine, uh, and then he's taken to, like, this big, beautiful garden, and it turns out to be a wedding, and then The line that probably had people storming out of the theater in protest if they had even decided to stay and watch up until that point. But for me, it was just sort of like, ooh, tell me more. Okay, there's a wedding. Who's getting married? And then she says to Jesus, you are. And he gets married to Mary Magdalene. And it's, yeah, all all of the, the pain of hearing the voice of God in his head is all gone. And he does not need to, you know, take the sacrifice or anything. And he can now live his life as a normal man and this is where the movie becomes brilliant. Just absolutely fan-fucking-tastic.
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a goddamn masterpiece, the last mm-hmm. half hour of this movie, for sure. Because, yeah, he's got his marriage, they consummate, mm-hmm. uh, she gets pregnant. And then, like, it's, it's, it's so fascinating because she dies giving birth, and the child dies, if I'm not mistaken. Yes,
1: the child does die, but he does... So- Go on to marry and have kids.
0: Yeah. So the angel tells him that, you know, this Mary's gone, but there's another like she just has a different face. And now she's this Mary you met earlier in a town that I can't remember now. (laughs) (laughs) But after his like staying in the desert, he was like nursed back to health by this woman, Mary and her sister, I think. So he goes and he marries her and they have kids and they grow old together and he meets up with Harry Dean Stanton, who's talking about Jesus, who died on the cross and was resurrected, and we should all follow him because he's coming back again someday. And he's like, "No, I'm right here. <laughs> I didn't do yep. shit. I'm not the Messiah." And he's like, "Well, even you know, even if you aren't, like, my Jesus is important. Like, people need this to root for." And it's like it's yes. such a just goddamn amazing commentary on the best and worst thing about religion is that it gives people hope, but it's a lie and it's manipulative, but it's something to believe in. It's very complicated and wonderful.
1: Oh yeah. I, I love that discussion of, uh, that he has with uh, Saul Paul. We'll call him better. Saul Paul. We got a better <laughs> Saul Paul,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> man. I am just, I'm just on fire with these terrible jokes today, <laughs> <Love it. laughs> but yeah, he, uh, yeah, he has a conversation like, no, you were not, you know, you're lying. I, it was me. I was the one who was on the sermon, of the mound i was the one that um uh no i was the one giving the speech and everything but you know saul paul says yeah, but you know you but you didn't die my jesus did
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> and, and, my, and, and the people need my jesus the people need my jesus and that and that's that kind of gets into that whole interesting notion of uh you know your your jesus versus my jesus because not everybody's jesus is the same although i think yeah your your jesus and my jesus is about the same he's a, completely a work of fiction but someone who is like devout in the faith, whether they're evangelical or whether Catholic or, or somewhere in the middle. Very different interpretations of Jesus uh, amongst all the sects, especially if you <laughs> look at like evangelical like Southern Baptist and then like strict Roman Catholic, different interpretations of Jesus. You know, one says like, oh, my Jesus did this. But he was like, no, 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 that's 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 your Jesus. But my Jesus is that. So good stuff. Yeah. And then as, as it continues on, yeah, we, we see him live the life. We see him grow old. And then the film the film's climax is is the purge of uh Jerusalem, the siege of Jerusalem.
0: Yeah, yeah, the the city the Romans burn the city and they're they're hiding and Jesus is on his deathbed and uh his old uh his old disciples come for a visit.
1: Yeah, because he got uh we got Peter comes by. Uh I can't remember if it was a James or John. I think yeah, Peter and John show up. And then That sounds right. And then uh, we get a surprise appearance by Judas. And I remember when I first saw this, I was like, wait, Judas is still around? Because we all know that Judas does kill himself, but because he didn't die on the cross, Judas is like, well, okay, the, the prophecy didn't, wasn't fulfilled. This didn't work, but we got to carry out this plan somehow. And he's probably just completely lost in terms of what to do, but he can't just take his own life now. And so he goes and he tries to handle it the way that Judas knows how and it's through violence. I mean, we we, we established early on that Judas is willing to kill in order to go with, along with uh, what what Jesus needs to accomplish.
0: And, yeah, and even even when he comes as an old man, his his clothes are like freshly covered in blood from a yeah. fight he'd had like on the way there. Yeah, he's
1: he's got he's got blood on his hands. No doubt he probably just punched some dude to death.
0: <laughs> and it, it could be like you say like because Jesus did not die on the cross Judas did not you know feel the need to kill himself but it's also all an illusion this is all Mm -hmm. just a fabrication by Satan to show Jesus what a real human life would be like if he chose to reject uh, the will of God and just live a normal life this is what it would be like and it would be and I again I love that it's not perfect I love that it's not some paradise where everything's gonna go great and you're gonna have a family and you know, you're going to know love and peace every day. It's like, no, it's going to be hard. There's yeah. going to be hardships and people who followed you are going to feel betrayed and you're going to feel guilty, but you'll be alive and you will have a, a legacy, a different kind of legacy. And that's really the temptation is just to be a normal guy.
1: Mm-hmm. But as he finds, you know, being the normal guy, like at the same time, it's, it's, it's such a huge uh, cost. Uh, mm-hmm. And one, and one that's basically going to doom, doom us all. And so after you know, Judas calls Jesus out on his bullshit, calling him a traitor and everything. And, and, he, and he gives such a beautiful, beautiful performance in his uh, monologue. There, is, There is one part, though, be, because he's such a Bronx Judas that I do kind of smirk at a little bit. Uh, the first time I saw it, I did, I will admit, I did bust out laughing. I don't do it now because I'm, I'm a lot more mature about it. But <laughs> I am the lamb. Death is the door. Just him saying, death is the door. Oh, my God. Oh, oh Harvey Keitel. Love it. <laughs> but otherwise, though, yes, just beautifully portrayed that entire speech and, you know, say, you know, the important like what you were like, you know, this is what you were supposed to do.
0: And now there's no more Israel. And, and then, calling him a coward Just Yes, it's it's not wrong. Like this version of Jesus is a coward hmm. Like through the entire movie until that moment where he goes out and talks to God and says, I want to get I want to I want it back. I yeah. want to be the Messiah. I want to die on the cross. I want it now. Until that moment, he is a coward. And that's yeah. really fascinating. It's, I like I love because early in the movie he has this great monologue about fear. It's like yeah. how his his religion is fear or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I look inside, I was like, I, I, I'm just so afraid of everything all the time. I look inside and there's fear and I was like, God, that hits so hard.
1: <laughs> oh my, yeah. That and, um, the, 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 the thing I, I love too, cause it always, it always just like, it fascinates me. And it also just like gives me such conflicting feelings because his relationship with God is not healthy throughout this entire film. And yeah. at the, and at the end of the film, he says, you know, will you listen to a selfish and unfaithful son? It's just sort of like that's how you're gonna address yourself to God, who in a way has been kind of an abusive father to you, but now he understands that he was the selfish one. It's like, whoa, <laughs> um, he's really internalized it. <laughs> yeah, he has. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the thing. I, I that's the thing. Like, I like that you know you never really see God, but you know He's there. It's it's a, this invisible presence, and I like that God is basically a it's it's debatable as to whether he actually is like benevolent and heroic or if god is an absolute monster like it's it's very ambiguous in terms of which which one he is and we also don't even know for sure if god actually is really there uh i mean he is uh or if it's all just basically like jesus kind of going crazy a little bit and all that but because of the miracles that he pulls off yes god is there unfortunately
0: Yeah, we know within the logic of the film that, you know, God is real and Jesus really is the son of God and he has Mm -hmm. magical God powers. Yeah,
1: I I, get I I had to I had to to concede. Yeah, we I wish we could. I wish that could have been a little bit more ambiguous. That being said, though,
0: what did you think of Satan in this movie? Love Satan in this movie. Mm, Me too. Um, Because, again, by complicating Jesus, complicating Judas, you also complicate Satan in a really fantastic way. Yeah, it was like. Last year, a couple years ago, Jeff and I did a doc and roll about a Satanist documentary. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys in there was like raised Christian, as most of them were. And he was like, it was weird for me because hearing stories about Jesus and Abraham and God and Satan, I always really related with Satan. I was like, Satan was always this guy in the story who would be like, you know, Abraham – do not listen to that guy you do not have to cut your child in half that is insane Jesus just come on you don't have to do this this isn't this is crazy. it's like he was always like the voice of reason and that's what this Satan is yeah this Satan is very much like you have a choice like to to think that your life is predestined and faded is completely batshit insane like the world will continue on. Without Israel is like, yes, there will be consequences, but you should you should know that you have a choice.
1: Yes. Unlike most depictions of Satan, this one manages to find a a really cool balance of a portrayal of Satan that is genuinely creepy. And at the same time, the titular uh, temptation is one that does look very appealing. It's like, okay, if Satan were to basically try to seduce me and tempt me with something like this, I might fall for it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like Mm -hmm. a a life of, you know, love and family and purpose and contentment. Absolutely.
1: And it's it's interesting because like most most depictions of Satan probably won't go for that. Like, oh, here's a goofy example, but um, End of Days, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie.
0: I forgot about End of Days. (laughs) Well,
1: (laughs) I I wonder why that is, Joe. Um, Yeah, I wonder why. (laughs) Where remember yet? when
0: that mother and daughter both fuck Satan at the same time? That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then they melt into the same person. <laughs> That's so That was so weird. Uh,
1: that Oh, my God. End of days. I don't know if we should do that as a, as a quote-unquote guilty or a blockbuster autopsy. I, I, don't, I don't remember liking it much. <laughs> I also don't remember liking it very other, much. Other than the
0: incestuous three-way, it's not doesn't have much going for it.
1: <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, basically, yeah, Satan is like a basically like a like an action villain who basically functions like a like a big boss in like a like an arcade shooter. So, yeah, <laughs> there, yeah, there's there's nothing about that Satan that's scary and there's nothing about him that seems like, you know, whatever he's trying to tempt the main character with you buy it. Uh, You actually would be kind of compelled to pursue this, whereas this one. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, yeah, during, during my, my, my view, my first viewing of the film, I initially thought, oh, Oh shit! Like uh, I, I, I did not know that the angel was indeed Satan. I mean, now obviously it's no. Hate. Yeah,
0: I didn't, I didn't see it coming really either. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't remember what I thought was going on the first time I saw it. I, I think I thought it was legitimate and just like an alternate story for Jesus they were creating. I didn't. I don't mm-hmm. think I saw that it was a, a vision or a hallucination or a temptation. Yeah. Until until really Jesus figures it out at the end
1: yes and then he delivers that great final monologue and then we go right back to the cross it's it's more mind-blowing than the ending of inception listeners mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, coming from somebody who loves inception this twist ending far more mind-blowing when we when we find ourselves back on the cross you're sort of like, oh yes
0: yes yeah it, it's very <laughs> satisfying because i'm not the biggest fan of the end of inception i think there's other parts about it that are interesting and fun, but the yeah. ending doesn't do anything for me. But this Ooh. ending makes complete sense with everything that's come before.
1: A wonder, and it is truly a wonderful thing to see him back on the cross, which I, I realize is a weird thing to say. So you're it's watching, a weird
0: thing to root for, crucifixion, yes. Yeah,
1: it, it's, <laughs> it's weird to root for Jesus getting crucified and killed on the cross. But here <laughs> – Man, this movie gets you it, Movie gets you committed to it. <laughs> but because he does fulfill the prophecy at the end, or at least we we believe that he does, and he does too, and then it closes out with just him closing his eyes, and then Peter Gabriel's music kicks in, and then the film burns out, and that actually happened during the shoot. Like, the light leaked into the camera or something like that as uh, Defoe closes his eyes. But whenever uh, Scorsese and uh, Thelma Schoomaker looked at it in the editing bay, they thought, why don't we just end the movie here? Because like this little this little uh film failure ended up timing out so perfectly with him closing his eyes that the story is essentially over, and we might as well just like let this mistake kind of play out as a visual effect, and it's one that I think completely works because because yeah because the movie eventually effectively is over. Like once Jesus is dead, like okay, story's done.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought it was a weird choice. But that's interesting to know that it's just kind of an accident that they liked aesthetically and kept in. The story is done and kind of playing into our discussion overall of making the story more ambiguous. It's always been weird to me. And even in this version, Jesus knows he's going to come back to life. Yes. Um, Like, how is that a sacrifice? You mm-hmm. see, it's like, it's, I get that it's awful and painful, but he knows he's going to come back to life. It feels like this version of Jesus shouldn't know that. And so when he dies and the the story ends, it's still ambiguous as to whether or not he actually comes back and like, or if people just believe he came back or believe he will come back or, (laughs) you know, and how the story builds from there to become the story we know today.
1: Talk about a dark twist if, if it turns out that he actually didn't come back from the dead. He just
0: died. <laughs> At least it's a sacrifice. It this is a legitimate sacrifice. It is a
1: legit sacrifice. And we don't and we don't see the resurrection. No. Yeah. And I think that was good that we don't see it because you, you don't really need it. Yeah. Because like I think no, you, you're right. Because, um, yeah, if you do, if you do see the resurrection, it does cheapen the
0: sacrifice. Yeah. So wh- whoever wrote the Bible, like their story sucks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you do know he's going to be resurrected because of like, you know, in the reality of the movie that God is real and he is the son of God. And yes. so, you know, he's going to come back. He's like, that's mm-hmm. where what happens. So once you know that for certain, yes. it's not an ambiguous ending. Oh, to yeah. just end it. I just glad we didn't see it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, there's not much. There's no more story to tell. He comes back. He visits the disciples and it's boring. <laughs> yeah, he he goes to America and gives Joseph Smith some golden <laughs> tablets. You know, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> he
1: he goes there. He goes there. He uh he uh he gets a he gets a surgery done on his skin. He uh invests in a blue contact lenses. He dyes his hair blonde and became an American. <laughs> <laughs> got his American citizenship, and <laughs> the rest is history. Now he now drives a Ford four uh, x four, and he's got uh, cow testicles on the on the back uh, bumper. Last I heard, I hear I hear he likes to get his uh, I here he likes to go to the tanny salon to get his tan. I, I hope he, I hope Jesus doesn't have a Confederate flag on anywhere on his truck. That'd be awkward.
0: I mean, it's not a Confederate flag; it's a Klan flag. But
1: oh, yes, oh, the, the
0: common misconception.
1: <laughs> oh, uh, the, the that's right. The because uh, uh, the flag they they wave is the the it's yeah the Klan flag, and I think it was like a flag that was used specifically for some
0: battle. The stars um, and bars. It, it's based on the Virginia militia flag, but it's okay. not the flag of the Confederacy. No. It's it's, it's uh, very very different the Confederate flag, but I mean you never see those flying around because everyone thinks it's the you know the stars and bars.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah, because isn't the actual Confederate flag? It's it's a smaller version of it on like a giant white fabric. Is that is that the actual one?
0: No, it's you, you can look up a picture of it. It's like a red stripe and a blue stripe and an insignia. Um, so it's it's quite different the official flag of the Confederacy <laughs> than the the flag that is mistakenly called the confederate flag today
1: you know the folks who call themselves confederates or something like that you think they would get their fucking history straight
0: <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's their history right they're so proud of their history and they don't know shit about it
1: no they really don't <laughs> <laughs> they can't even get their fucking flag correct it got me confused that i'm not a confederate well why would i yeah, <laughs> why would i be
0: <laughs> yeah why Why would you you uh, guys you guys are fucking heritage. traitors.
1: yeah <laughs> your heritage which is treason and and you mm. know Uh, genocide yeah thanks no back to uh jesus uh what were some other things that stood out to you that you found fascinating
0: other than that it's just like you know little moments throughout it i thought it was interesting that when jesus first embraces his destiny as the son of god and you know has to go out and witness to people and talk to people and he's preaching about love his whole his whole thing i like then like that first group he's preaching love to, like, immediately go off to kill their enemies. <laughs> it, was like, <laughs> it was like the first the first murders in the name of Jesus happened very early in yes, they, his yes, administration. They did. <laughs> yes, they did. Whoops. <laughs> and he's like, I said love. I said love. Come back. <laughs> it's like, well, fuck.
1: nice going dickhead
0: Uh, what did I say (laughs) because he even has like um, you know there's the meme of Jesus saying like you know love your neighbor as you would yourself or you know your best friend or whatever mm-hmm. and someone in the crowd's like but what if they're a different race or a different religion from us and she's like okay i'm gonna start again you let me know where i lost you and then basically that exact exchange is in the movie yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we basically
1: yeah we see that meme but it's played it's played out completely from start to finish
0: uh, yeah. again without a sense of irony just like no no yeah. no 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 not we're not going to beat them with rocks we're going to love them as if we like them yes <laughs> But but murder because different no no listen love <laughs> yeah murder <laughs> yeah, and f- funny
1: enough because at a, at a later on he actually does advocate for you know you know, I used to believe in love, now I believe in this, and it's a fucking axe. And he holds this after he tears his own heart out of his body yeah. and holds it <laughs> with all that beautiful- because
0: Because he's a man, he's human, so he's mm-hmm. flawed. So it's like... Oh, yeah. It's like, I, I do not agree with violence. And when Jesus goes like, no, now I, we're done with love. We're, we're bringing the sword, we're bringing the hammer down. Yeah. I was like, I do not agree with that philosophy, but it's an interesting twist uh, turn for that character.
1: Yeah. It's you, you mentioned earlier from uh, Martin Luther King to Malcolm
0: X. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's both at the same time somehow.
1: Oh yeah. And uh, I mean, guy whenever he goes into um, that one church that's been turned into a market, and just yeah fucking unleashes holy hell on all the loses no- his
0: fucking socialist mind.
1: Yes, he does. <laughs> I, I, remember I was watching I was watching it with uh, Bethany and we got to this part and it was just sort of like this guy is this guy takes socialism a little too seriously. He's a little too committed. <laughs> Even Karl Marx would be like, whoa, buddy, step back a bit. <laughs>
0: that's, that's not yours to give away. Oh, wait, I just heard it. I said it out loud and I heard it. <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> but no, Jesus is like, no, this is how you do socialism, motherfucker. <laughs>
0: yeah, but then- you do it by force. You do it with the sword.
1: Yes. And then he says something that uh, was certainly still pissed off in Christians to this day is that God's not an Israelite, which is, which is true. He's not like it- he's not
0: anything. Yeah, he's why- probably not even a he. Right. <laughs> we
1: we don't know if God even has a gender. We don't know what God even looks like. There's <laughs>
0: absolutely no reason for God to have a gender, to have genitalia, yeah. like to have you know masculine features. There's no need for any of that. Or to or it's or, like,
1: or, or God to have like skin pigmentation, you know. Yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly. Like there, God would not need a race or a physical form, even. Mm-mm. There's a there's an article I used to teach in class, it's not in my textbook anymore, though I should Maybe see if it's online somewhere and I can still use it. But basically, there's a casual reference to God as a woman. It's like just mm-hmm. just a, a, a her, she pronoun. And one of my students once was really offended by that. It's like, you know, God's a man. Everyone knows that kind of thing. It's like, there's no point in God having a gender at all.
1: Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean. That just, just,
0: that just fulfills your like patriarchal need for a man to be in charge of the universe.
1: Well, so I think it just kind of cheapens God. If you do, if you do give God a gender or if you make God look like a human, it's so
0: reductive. Yeah. Yeah. It's so reductive to, like, lump God into this box.
1: Yeah. Because, like, when when God is an omnipotent being, we also probably can't even comprehend what God looks like. So and if we try to look at, you know, God or if we try to hear the voice of God, it might be like uh, the movie Dogma where your head would just explode.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, and or or in this movie where it's like, you know, an eagle digging its claws into the back of your head. Great stuff. Uh I'm trying to think of what else that stood out in this revisit. I mean, we did we did cover the last temptation. That's the the meat and potatoes of the movie. We did need the two hours of spending time with Jesus and his followers to to make that really stick the landing. Cause I don't think it would have worked if it was just the temptation. You needed everything before the temptation for
0: I it, I agree. It would have we been were. an interesting movie if like we start with Jesus being nailed to the cross and you know, an angel comes to him and takes him off and like the movie's really devoted to this alternate life he could have had. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that movie could work. But for this particular movie to work, you need that different version of the story of Jesus. Yes. Like you need to establish that this is a different take on the character because otherwise it hits differently for sure.
1: I did think it was interesting that uh, that he's never addresses Jesus Christ until midway into The Last yeah. Temptation. It's always a uh, Jesus of Nazarene, uh, or or, G- or Jesus from Nazarene, not necessarily yeah. Jesus, not Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus from Nazarene. That I thought was interesting, and I li- I like that a lot. Where it's it, he he's never addressed as Jesus Christ, just just a simple Jesus, like he's he's just a guy, <laughs> uh, a king a king he is not. <laughs> no, it was a uh, uh, Stanton a uh, Saul Paul that calls him Jesus Christ, but it, but he's not talking directly to old man Jesus. He's talking about his Jesus.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. So Jesus Christ is established as like a character. Yes. uh, A figurehead for this religion he's spreading. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This religion called Christianity. (laughs) Jesus-ism, yes.
1: (laughs) How about that Peter Gabriel in the music, though?
0: Oh, yeah. It's a terrific score. Like, there's several times throughout it that I was just like, this kicks.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which track you're going to use for the for the closer on this one, but I I know you're going to pick a banger.
0: (laughs) I'm not sure either. I'll I'll click around until like, oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk about the guilty pleasures of characters in Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ?
1: I mean, I I, I guess we can get into those guilty temptations. (laughs) Yes. Mm. (laughs) The problem, Joe, is who do I pick? Because there's yeah, gotta, so many. you got to pick
0: one. Yeah.
1: Oh, there's so many. There's so many characters we could do guilty pleasures of. Those guilty temptations. Because, like, on the one hand, it's like, I want to know the guilty pleasure of Jesus. But I want to know the one of Judas. I want to know the one of Saul Paul. I want to know Mary Magdalene. I want to know Satan's guilty pleasure. I'm not. Okay, Here, uh, I'll give myself a prayer. I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to pick a character like Satan. I'm not going to pick God or, you know, those characters. Joe. Uh, I want you yes. to think on the guilty pleasure of Pontius Pilate, specifically this Pontius Pilate.
0: Oh, interesting. hmm I would like you to do Judas. <laughs> Bronx Judas. <laughs>
1: Pilate's hard. All right, I will go first. Uh, this this okay. is going to be kind of more like stream of, deliv- stream of consciousness delivery. I'm just going to be kind of... Sp- kind of throwing putting in a word salad you know a word salad radio presents word salad and I, I think it was good that scorsese cut this out of the movie but because we got we got judas iscariot of the bronx you know he's he, he he fancies himself a wise guy every now and then and one of the things he loves to say is jesus christ what's the matter with you he likes to say <laughs> that to him all the time he, he does it just specifically to drive his friend jesus crazy but it just rolls right off the tongue when he says jesus christ what's the matter with you Either Keitel or uh, De Niro would <laughs> would be the ones that you would normally hear say something like that in a Scorsese film, but it's it's Keitel that gets to do it here. Uh, and another key guilty pleasure of his, a, a, a guilty temptation of sorts, specifically when the last temptation is into effect. You know how he goes in there uh, and he's got blood on his wrists and everything? His guilty pleasure, he likes to get himself soaked in the blood of his own enemies. Like it's (laughs) he he has managed to turn that inner turmoil and that potential inner darkness that would have led to him taking his own life and has turned it quite literally into bloodlust. Like one of his probably one of the great guilty pleasures that we don't see in the movie, thankfully, because it would have been too much to take. Is that after he kills some of his Roman enemies, the whole battlefield is just soaked in blood. And he just like lies down on it, stretches his arms up and just rolls around on it like a like a kid rolling in mud or a dog uh, going through a puddle or something. So, uh, yeah, Judas Iscariot, his guilty pleasures are tormenting Jesus by sounding like a wise guy from a Martin Scorsese film and bloodlust.
0: I think he also, like, you know, there's this pizza place on 114th and Steinbrenner that just has the best pie in the city. I think that's probably his guilty pleasure. It's right next to the 7-Eleven. You can't miss it.
1: I mean, a a New York slice of pizza is
0: really fucking good, though. (laughs) Fuck yeah. You remember the start of every Ninja Turtle movie? Oh, my
1: God. Especially, especially uh, Secret of the Ooze. That pizza. Secret
0: of the, all the pizza in the beginning of Secret of the Ooze looks like the best pizza ever made. Ever,
1: ever. Yes. So, and I'm speaking speaking as somebody who's lived in Chicago for 12 years, and Chicago's got great pizza. But here's the thing. Never. I never disrespect a good New York slice. You want to, you want to pilot this one?
0: Um, I think, I think, uh, pilot is, I think his guilty pleasure in a, in a time of, you know, gods and legends and dogs and cats living together. Mass Mass hysteria. hysteria. I think that, uh, pilot's guilty pleasure might be science. Mm. And I think he might enjoy harnessing and studying the, uh, (laughs) the lightning in the sky (laughs) To uh, create devices that you know uh, of magic and wonder that maybe create clones of whoever <laughs> stuck inside. I mean <laughs> that and uh, and dance. I think his guilty pleasure is dance because he's such a gra- he's a graceful
1: motherfucker. Yes, he is. So the pledge is the politics is is help pile the politician. The yeah. turn the turn is to dance, of course. Uh, and then you got the third act, the, the lightning, the science, and then the clone. And that, of course, is Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, uh, which you can listen to uh, in our Patreon. For, actually, I think it might be a public episode now. Or, uh, it's uh, it's
0: probably public, yeah. That yeah. was the first ever Stranger Themes.
1: Pilot episode of Stranger Themes. Oh, so still one of my favorite episodes of Stranger the of Themes. The Pontius
0: pilot episode. The Pontius. <laughs>
1: there it is. It was right there. It was right there in front of me.
0: And you took it.
1: Nicely I got done. that one. You got on that one. We, we each got one. We each got one. Oh, it's a Christmas <laughs> miracle.
0: It's a Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, yeah, uh, it is
0: accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
1: QS us, uh, play us off, Peter Gabriel. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, in terms of uh, getting into the holiday cheer, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ is a film you can watch. Uh, I'm not going to say it's the best Christmas movie, but if you're going to watch a Jesus movie, watch this one.
0: Jesus. Yeah, for sure. Watch this one. It's, it's the story of Jesus, but like with more. It's like more mm-hmm. so.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's um, like what if what if Jesus were us,
0: you know? <laughs> yeah, what if Jesus was a guy, yeah. and he's still the son of God, and he still does all the things you want him to do, but he's just a guy. Um, anything you want to plug or recommend, Tyler?
1: Well, uh, I'm going to recommend um, this. is this. Now, obviously, you're probably not going to be able to find this unless, uh, unless you uh, decide to re- relive the glory days of uh, the mid-2000s, uh, whenever you would... Uh, get things on the internet, uh, in your own way. But, um, uh, I, I recently watched, uh, a version of Die Hard 2 that has to be seen and heard <laughs> to be believed. Obviously, you you're probably familiar with, uh, you know, infamous, uh, TV edits, where you gotta, you know, broadcast a movie, uh, especially one that is, uh, restricted, and it's not intended for all audiences, and you got to play that on a primetime television. So what do they do? Okay, well, one way you could do it is that you could just bleep out the dialogue, bleep out the, the offensive language. You could either just mute it, and then you just kind of trim the violence. Or you could do what they did in the 90s, is that you would basically re-dub over the lines. And the the attempt to do that in Die Hard 2 is just absolutely seamless,
0: Talk about a Christmas miracle that that TV cut of Die Hard Two. Oh it's my a, god, it's
1: incredible! It it is such a spectacular hack job that you've got to see it and you've got to hear it. Most more importantly, and um, here's the thing. Uh, you're you're t- you're you're listening to two people who love Die Hard Two. Uh, it's a yeah,
0: great, love great, Die Hard Two. Great
1: sequel. I think the TV edit might be the superior version. <laughs> it's like it's like the only
0: way I want to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a Christmas miracle for you, Joe. Yeah, send me definitely send me that link so I, I can download it and have a copy of it forever. You got it, man. You got it. Uh Joe, anything you want to plug or recommend? Absolutely. I watched one of my favorite movies of the year. It wasn't yesterday. I had game night yesterday. It must have been Tuesday. Mm. Because I, I flipped on HBO. And they are they now have the Banshees of Inishirin written and directed by Martin McDonough, starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleason. And holy fuck is it good. I'm a huge McDonough fan. And this, I have to watch it again. I, I, I think this is his best movie. Wow. But yeah, I that I think this is my favorite of his movies. It's a it's more of a throwback to like his plays. And I love his dramatic work, yeah. and this feels more like one of his plays. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely not his best work. He's yeah. got a couple of plays I would rank over it, but this is extremely powerful and wonderful, and I hope that, you know, it gets some recognition with the award season coming up.
1: I It's it's one that I've been meaning to check out. I'm probably going to watch it before the end of the year now that it is on HBO Max. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I was already sold on the idea of seeing it because it was not only a new Martin McDonough movie, but it was an in reunion and in is one of my favorite comedies um, yeah it's
0: it's amazing and I th- and I think this is even better just, but again I have to watch it again
1: I mean I, I you got me excited to see it now and and if you see it it's like one of his plays so it's like okay I I, I will admit I I'm not as a scholar on my uh, McDonough my, my McDonough place but I have read the pillow Man actually I own a copy of the pillow Man the
0: Pillow Man is an unparalleled masterpiece that's by far his best work and probably the best thing he'll ever do Mm -hmm. but i highly recommend his other plays uh there's the lieutenant of inishmore there's the um there's another one that has a title like that yeah and and there's the beauty queen of lenon which is fucking amazing like his dramatic work is so unique but the pillow man just blows everything out of the water
1: oh my god I saw a production of that in Russia.
0: I, I saw a production back in Michigan. Like it's really cool to see live, but you know, yeah. just reading it is phenomenal. I, I how do you even adapt that to film? That'd be a that'd be a cool challenge. And you I think It would could, be it would make a fucking awesome film. Yeah. <laughs> like if he ever wanted to do a Pillowman film, like I I guarantee it'd be amazing. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it is it is a uniquely intimate theatrical experience, I think. <laughs>
1: Here's here's an idea. Martin Scorsese's the pillow man. <laughs> oh,
0: f- fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking cunt. <laughs> yes. So yeah, the, the Banshees of Inishirin, um, really delightful, just deeply upsetting, emotional, just incredible rollercoaster of a film oh, okay. on HBO now. Can't wait to see it. Um, so other than that, you can follow us on Twitter at Word Salad Radio. You can join the Word Salad Radioheads Facebook group. You can contribute to patreon.com slash word salad to support us and support Cadavercast and get early access and exclusive access to stuff we throw on there. Um, or you can write us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts so more people find us. Thanks so much for coming on to talk about this. Oh, uh
1: Joe, thank you for letting me uh come for Jesus. And
0: uh <laughs> Hashtag come for Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Hashtag come in your heart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in and happy holidays to each
0: and every one of you. Happy holidays. We'll see you, I don't know, maybe one more episode for the year, but probably next year. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, Andrew. Good night, Andrew. You're not guilty.